Has anyone seen the artist? <laughs> yeah, I just watched the artist like a couple days ago, actually. Was it good? Did you? Like I liked it? it. I was really charmed by it. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm a big silent film guy, and so if, it's if, silent. Oh God. Um, yeah, that's a yeah. Whole that's thing. like the it's whole like, point of it. It's yeah. like a throwback to silent film, and uh, I mean, if you if you're not super into silent film, then I could see you rolling your eyes at it, but. <laughs> Uh, I'm a big fan. I found it really charming, and there's some like really cool sequences, um, and I really loved the romance. And there was a fun little like dance sequence, and yeah, I, I I'm pro artist. You really like dance sequences too. I do. <laughs> That's a big I, thing for you. Right. I think it's because I can't dance, and so like it's like <laughs> something I aspire to see. Am Aren't I allowed to say my favorite black and white is Don's Plum? <laughs> Don's Plum. Have you guys not heard of Don's? Okay, you know I'm gonna save it for the pod. Never mind. Okay. Don's Plum. <laughs> it's not my favorite. It's the it's the Pussy Posse movie. Oh, oh, it, yeah. Okay. Uh, best supporting Kevin Connolly. Great. Uh. <laughs> so. Uh, hello and welcome to the I'm Thinking of Watching Things podcast episode, whatever the hell it is now. Um, we took a break because I had COVID <laughs> and now we're boo, I don't like COVID. Um, we're an anti COVID but... podcast, yeah, that's a strong stance. Yeah, we're not afraid. <laughs> Um, to say we don't like getting COVID. <laughs> Hot take. Pandemic bad. Although this podcast would probably not exist without COVID. So catch 22 So wait there. a second. Let me rethink my... We're pro-COVID. It's a complex issue with lots of... <laughs> we're fluctuating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anywho. Let's move on. <laughs> anywho. We're back. We're back and better than ever, baby. Uh, with... Uh, at least my most anticipated movie of the year, whether or not um, that that anticipation was worth it, we'll discuss. But the film Mank, new Netflix movie from David Fincher, one of the foremost filmmakers of our era about the making of, or at least the writing of Citizen Kane. But is it really? And again, we'll discuss it. But before <laughs> we hop in, we're going to do some introductions and uh, we're going to talk about our favorite purposeful black and white film. One that wasn't because that was the only means of making a movie, but for artistic reasons, maybe recent in recent years. Um, Alicia, what is yours? Um, so I could be basic and say Francis Ha. Um, but I think just to like make things interesting, because uh, there's so many good ones that I love. I'm going to go with Guy Madden's Dracula Pages from a Virgin's Diary, um, which is like he made an adaptation of Dracula in black and white that looks like it's from, you know, a long time ago. And it uses the um, the what is it? Royal Winnipeg Ballet um, to like dance out the story. And it's just really cool and inventive and well done and like grapples with the um the subtext of the dracula story in a fun way and i love the dracula everything and i just like dracula adaptations and i took a class on it at school um which is what had me watch this but i'm really glad that it did because um it's like 
gorgeous and yeah deals with themes of like xenophobia in a very interesting way hmm. Arjun yeah my name is Arjun I was kind of surprised going through this at how many good black and white movies there were in the past I don't know 20 30 years um especially like ones that didn't have to be I, I was caught by uh Parasite and Mad Max both releasing black and white versions that I've only seen 10 minutes of the Mad Max one and I haven't seen any of the Parasite ones but pretty fascinating choice if maybe it seems a little bit unnecessary to me I don't know uh but my my favorite is The Man Who Wasn't There uh, another Coen's Brothers film I watched it for a film noir class in college and kind of fell in love with it I, I think it's a, a gorgeous film and maybe not one of their best but one of the ones I remember the most because of its absolutely bizarre final 30 minutes and references to an era of filmmaking that I don't know about but I love to hear people who love that era talk to me about it and one other thing uh, real quick because I will not miss an opportunity to talk about the pussy posse on this <laughs> podcast um Leonardo DiCaprio and other child actors including Kevin Connolly and Toby Maguire's uh, posse of nightclub loving teenagers and child actors in the 90s that made a black and white film about Tobey Maguire and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio basically just being misogynistic and racist and sitting around uh, pretty much improving a lot of uh, very offensive stuff to the point where they had to sue to try to get the film released and or, or stopped from being released and it actually never was released in the United States, but if you go to freedonsplum.com, you can uh, email one of the producers and he'll send you a copy of it, which I did earlier this year. And uh, I would highly recommend it because man, oh man, is it a fascinating, fascinating piece of uh, 90s culture that I think uh, needs to be experienced to fully understand uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire as people. And I, I highly recommend it, even though it is not by any means a good movie. <laughs> wow. Good tips there. I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> uh, my name's Caleb, and I was thinking about Ed Wood. Uh, we were talking about the artist before we started uh, recording, and I'm, I, I will defend the artist. I'm, I, I was very charmed by it. I watched it the other week. Uh, but I'm actually going to go with a, a deep cut, and I'm going to say 2007's La Antena from Argentina um it's on netflix so it's actually pretty accessible but it is a weird movie it is basically a throwback to silent sci-fi it's like kind of like a metropolis um but it's like this weird quasi comedy about like this corporation run by this evil dude named mr tv who has like a tv <laughs> for a face and like his mouth is like just like a this like tv very weird stuff um and it, like it's a silent because like he steals their voice the voices of all the citizens and like it's done in this very artful way where like th the citizens are trying to speak and it's coming out as like speech bubbles out of their mouths a real real strange movie i'm a big fan of it la antenna uh on netflix yeah. I'm sold. That's that sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah. Have you talked about that movie before, Caleb? I have. It was yeah. for um Barnard's uh yeah. World War II resistance narratives class because I connected it to Inglorious Bastards somehow. <laughs> I don't remember how I did that. I was like that. I feel like you showed a clip of it because I was like that sounds familiar from what yeah. you just said. But yeah, I'm Brooke. Um, my pick is also from a class I took in college <laughs> on Westerns, uh, probably because 
I feel like I am not one uh, to seek out uh, the black and white <laughs> post uh, necessity. Um, I don't know, but this one is called Dead Man. It's a uh, Jim Jarmusch's Jarmusch Jarm Jarmusch whatever his. Put it both ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> his like Western thing with like a young Johnny Depp. Um, I think it's on HBO Max. It's pretty interesting, pretty cool. There's some like really weird scenes in there. Um, and I definitely like that. Might be like somewhat problematically like racism. I don't know. We like touched on it a little bit in class. So, you know, if you want to see some problematic racism, maybe. Um, or <laughs> or if you want to defend the film, uh, then I would check that out. But yeah, really cool, really interesting black and white <laughs> that's a good pick i remember not really loving it when i watched it but definitely being intrigued by it yeah it's definitely intriguing that's a yeah. good word for it <laughs> surprised nobody picked the human centipede 2 full oh. sequence but yeah. Wait, I, that's oh. in black and white apparently i yes. don't know it was on the list on wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and remember why i watched that in like seventh grade because like like hanging with my boys back in seventh or eighth grade and uh i was really scarred like i was i was genuinely very horrified and uh yeah i hated it uh anyway so from that mank um what did what did we all think of mank i know as i said it was my most anticipated film of the year so i had some pretty high expectations and i'm not quite sure how i felt about it but um yeah, what did you guys, how did you take it? How, where were you, were you watching it at, at home? I guess you had to have been. No, Arjun, Arjun, did, actually, yeah. yeah, you talk about, you go first. And yeah, I, I saw it a couple weeks ago because my local drive-in theater was showing it. Shout out to uh, supporting cinemas and not mm -hmm. letting the theatrical experience die. Um, and I really liked it at the time and I feel like maybe as the time has gone by, I've thought a little bit less of it. I, I meant to revisit it and honestly, just because there are so many other things on my list to watch right now catching up with the massive amounts of new releases that have sort of started coming out over the past couple of weeks I, I never got a chance to catch up with it mostly because I feel like it's already started sort of starting to fade from my brain a little bit and that's not maybe a little bit fair to it because I watched Citizen Kane right before it and was just so blown away revisiting that that when somebody trying to mock it and rework some of the ideas from Citizen Kane I think it kind of overshadowed it a little bit for me and the great experience that I had watching it on the big screen and maybe the first new movie I've seen on the big screen since Tenet when I saw that at the drive-in a couple months ago um, sort of isn't sticking in my mind the way I thought it would and I'm sort of trying to work through why exactly but first impression was good and less so over the weeks coming. Mm -hmm. mm, I'm almost the opposite of you where I was not impressed with it when I watched it but it sat better with me um but i also watched it in the throes of COVID 19 <laughs> like buzzing off some nyquil and on my laptop because i wasn't allowed to go and like watch it on our tv because i was isolating in my room uh and so the like experience i had was not ideal and so i started re-watching it uh today to prepare i watched through about half before we started recording and it worked a lot better on our big TV and also worked a lot better having knowing most having known most of the characters and knowing where they're going and really being able to keep up with that like watching it with subtitles and keeping up with that like fast pitch dialogue it's sitting better with me now 
but I still am not quite sure what it's about. Like, I don't think it's really about Mank. He doesn't really have a huge character. It's not about the battle between, like, is it Orson Welles? Is it Mankovitz? Who did the most? It's not really about that. It's not really about politics in California, but it is. It's, uh, it, it didn't really coalesce into anything that I was able to take out from it other than, like, the fun spending time with this like really wise cracking uh guy that's that's kind of the most i got out of it yeah i um i in terms of enjoyment i semi enjoyed it in terms <laughs> of getting something intellectual out of it i semi did that like i think it's hard when there are certain movies that while I watch them, I'm like, this is fine. And then later, um, you know, yet once I think about it and read up on it, like I start to realize, you know, it's a masterpiece or something. And, or at least it has a lot of depth and stuff to talk about. And in this case, I feel like that's happening, but at the same time, there was nothing in the film that super urgently made me want to think more deeply about it it didn't excite me in that way where you know if I'm watching something like under the silver lake and I'm like I'm enjoying this sometimes and other times I kind of want to shoot myself in the head and like um I think that there's a lot more here to think about and afterwards I'm gonna do that but in this I didn't feel a lot of urgency to do that I do think that like the performances are great. I think Oldman can easily be too much Oldman, but I was surprised that he didn't annoy me here. I thought he was great. And um, obviously Amanda Seyfried is like yeah. kind of magical. She's awesome. And um, I was surprised, like oftentimes I see Lily Collins and things where she is annoying. Maybe she just <laughs> plays a lot of annoying characters. Maybe I just binge watched Emily in Paris in like two days and have a lot of feelings about it. But um she was like more than tolerable in this. And um, his more wife- More than tolerable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I can say about Lola Collins. Um, <laughs> and the cinematography was gorgeous. Um, and there were some parts of dialogue that were like masterful. Anything in the Hearst Castle, like the dialogue just crackles and it's like amazing. And then other times I just kind of tuned out. Um, so I think that there's more depth there than I than originally made an impression on me as I was watching it. But the question is like, how much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I want to talk about that more later because I'm not sure I agree with you totally on Oldman, but man, Seafried is, <laughs> oh my yeah. God. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if you guys are going to like let me even stay on the pod after I say this, but... <laughs> not the biggest Citizen Kane fan. Um, I don't know. I just find myself wanting to hate anything that every annoying person in any of my film classes, like, basically had an orgasm to. <laughs> no, Brooke, with good reason. I do, I do commend you for that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> don't feel ashamed. You're doing yeah. the Lord's work. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just here to be a contrarian. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I can like rewatch it again too. But everyone just talks about Citizen Kane so much. And I was like, ah, I'm so fucking sick of this. Um, so going into that mindset, <laughs> going into Mank, I was like, 
I am so bored with everything that is happening right now. Um, I thought Gary Oldman was great. I was like intrigued. I am pretty, but that's saying I think the only thing I've seen him as is like serious black in Harry Potter. So I was like, wow, he's doing like a much better job than uh than that. So that was impressive. Um, yeah, the the set was like beautiful everything was really intriguing but there were just so many times when I like and I love I I think I'm like a Fincher fan and I'm a fan of the like witty snappy dialogue but for some reason for this movie I just was like I found myself like drifting away (laughs) when it was happening and then literally being like "Uh, no and then like having to rewind and then like re re go back like I I thought the ending scene the ending scene like the last like 20 minutes or whatever I had to rewatch because I like I drifted away the first time and I was like let me come back to it so yeah not definitely not my favorite like like Arjun kind of said I feel like some of his other films have like stuck with me or at least like from time and time and again I'll be like oh I just like want to rewatch that I, I just like crave watching them I don't know if I'll do that for this one, but yeah, I don't know. No, I think that's that's really fair. The whole like it sounds like we all kind of drifted away from it at times, and I think that for me at least, it came down to that the film that never breathes. It doesn't ever take a pause and just like let you sit with anything. It's just like real quick, snappy everything, which is in some scenes is super engaging and is mm-hmm. like you're really engaged because you want to hear every little quip because one quip will build on another, which will build on another, which will call back to the last, the first one. And it's brilliant in ways, but then in other ways, it's exhausting, especially for two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. I don't want to rewind too much, but do we want to talk about Citizen Kane real quick? Or is that not okay, something yeah, we want to Okay, yeah, no, you're right. Here. We can't just let Brooke get away with that. Like, as... as <laughs> As much as I'm like, I'm hype for you, Brooke, that you're bringing these opinions because it's good pod, you know, fodder. I'm objectively um, wrong. You're objectively <laughs> wrong. Well, I will say like in terms of rewatching it, and I think this is such a stupid thing to say. So like, I'm sorry, but I have to put it out there. Like in a post-Trump world, like mm-hmm. it really adds a lot to Citizen Kane as like this dying old man who's like completely going senile in his golf course in Florida while he tries to claim that people have <laughs> like frauded him at the polls has a little bit more resonance in 2020 than I think like whenever the first time I watched Citizen Kane was. But one of Trump's favorite movies. <laughs> uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he said it was one of his favorites <laughs> and that the main flaw was that like he what was it, the girl he, sh- he shouldn't have married the girl like that was the whole thing. Something super yeah trivial and ridiculous like that yeah just yeah but i I just can't i'm sorry brooke i can't agree with you like i i feel like in my mind citizen kane is great and when i don't watch it for a while i'm like oh my god citizen kane can't be like the best movie ever right and then as i did recently when i rewatch it it's just stuns the shit out of me like the fact that i mean it feels like it's a movie made in like the late 1950s or something like that and it, it just blows my mind the depth of every shot and orson wells in that main performance which I, I know people don't always love but the way he goes from this handsome man to this decrepit old man by the end of it which 
frankly, I not having loved Gary Oldman's performance too much and the way that it's sort of mocking that a little bit, like is the makeup work in Citizen Kane better than the Mank makeup work? I, maybe. <laughs> I think the makeup work in Citizen Kane is pretty good. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love Citizen Kane. I, I it can't get it out of my head. And like, that's part of the reason maybe why Mank hasn't sat with me is because like, I've been thinking about Citizen Kane so much over the past three weeks. <laughs> Is, is Gary Oldman doing a Bane voice in this? That's just that's the only thing I could get in my head. Where he's like, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Orson it's Wells. like, but at the same time, the Bane voice is like, I feel like 50s Hollywood transatlantic accent. Mm. <laughs> like, somehow. Yeah. It's like um, also kind of uh, There Will Be Blood. Th- mm. That to me is almost Bane like. Um, the first time I watched Citizen Kane for school because I didn't like I hadn't eaten my film vegetables yet. I was young and <laughs> I was bored. I was very bored. I will say it. The second time I watched it, I was like, this rules. I don't know how I could find this boring. And later I like even felt an urge to, you know, watch it again. And I really wanted to rewatch it for this. I've I've seen it like I guess like two or three times in my life but um I wanted to rewatch I only got like halfway because I overestimated uh time but um, (laughs) uh I think yeah like the inventiveness is just kind of undeniable it's insane it doesn't feel possible that it came out when it did and like it just it works i hate to tell you brooke but i would name my child orson (laughs) how upsetting is it that he was 24 when he made citizen i know bye yeah 23 that is not fair i mean like this podcast is nowhere near uh the war of the worlds recording that like people believe aliens were coming Um, down but it could be (laughs) we'll get there someday Uh, yeah sorry brooke i also love citizen kane (laughs) Uh, um, uh, I think it's I think the main thing for me is that it's so entertaining like what you're talking about cinematic vegetables like I definitely feel that with a lot of classics and like Vertigo for instance is that for me Um, but Citizen Kane is just so brazenly fun and like also towering it's like the perfect combination of like learning and being in awe and like this is art and also like I could re-watch this often and never get bored by it uh and so I'm sorry Brooke that we're ganging up on you but you no, deserve it's, it it's like oh. literally a requirement to be like a film person <laughs> so that's why I'm divorcing myself from, from this world I don't know I only watched it the one time well I think I watched it a couple times because I because we had to like write a paper on it um and what did I like from it I liked what is the opening shot like it looks like a haunted mansion yeah it's xanadu 
yeah yeah yeah. okay i like that part and then that (laughs) part was really cool that's nice and then she's just like playing puzzles he's just being an asshole and i i don't know (laughs) i just in the most incredibly designed sets that like are towering around him and he's so yeah, small yeah. in the frame and it's so much <laughs> opulence and it's so empty and for me I feel like yeah it's the blend of like familiar kind of film language of the time with the like stark like German impressionism that mm-hmm. like it makes it so not just like nice to look at, but ex- exciting genuinely um, when, you know, first time right. watcher me <clears throat> didn't fully understand, I guess. But yeah. And yeah. All, all these like big extravagant movies about horrible people that I have sort of come to love over the past 15 years as those have been, there have been a lot of those. I mean, what do you think of Marie Antoinette or there will be blood, like you said, or Wolf of Wall Street? They're just so rooted in Citizen Kane, which is like for a movie that came out more than 90 years before these, it's just mind blowing to me that it could still have that kind of influence. And wow, Citizen Kane. We can go back to Meg now. I'm sorry to bring us on this tangent. It just, uh, I couldn't let that slip. I'm sorry. Well, let's connect it back to Meg and, or back, let's connect Meg back to Citizen Kane. And let me ask you guys, did you feel like the film's emulation of that era's style, i.e. the black and white cinematography, the purposeful scratching and cigarette burns, the monoaural soundtrack did that work for you did it feel atmospheric did it set you back in that time or did it just feel kind of kitschy and like cute um it made me bored in a very similar fashion (laughs) to all of those films the the cinematography made you bored like the is guys i don't know <laughs> well i mean i think the cinematography kind of did make me bored i thought it was wow. kind of bland i mean maybe that was seeing like the stunning light like cascading through the sets of orson welles's citizen kane before that to just see like <laughs> what i thought was just kind of like dry black and white mostly unnecessary uh cinematography i mean thinking the whole time like is there any reason for this to be black and white besides the fact that citizen kane was black and white and i, I couldn't come up with one and uh, I, I couldn't I come up with a reason why that film benefited or looked better having been in black and white despite capturing i think the era pretty well but I don't know. I I did not love the way the movie looked. I feel like the characters would feel ridiculous if it was in color, to me at least. Like, it would just feel silly. Uh, But for whatever reason, when it's in black and white, it's like, oh yeah, these are old movie people, and that (laughs) makes sense to me. Um, But I I did think that the cinematography was probably the best part of it for me. Um, I was constantly in awe of like how good every frame looked and the lighting in particular felt perfect especially on my watch on the telly rather than my laptop because my laptop was not capturing the blacks well at all like it was definitely getting in the grain it was getting really grainy um but on our TV, which is HDR, so we got that high dynamic range. And uh, it was like such a world of difference in how I experienced the cinematography of the film. And uh, it was the most engaging part for me. But I will say that like the fake cigarette burns is it's like, I'll take it or leave it. It's not really meaningful to me. 
or like the uh but the the soundtrack was interesting because i couldn't really tell while watching it on the tv but with headphones on it does make a world of difference and it definitely feels like an old time sounding movie huh. to me it's so funny i've heard people say that like you know the the score does sound like old timey but at the same time you can tell it's uh uh trent reznor and atticus ross but right. i actually i completely forgot that they were involved <laughs> in the music like while i was watching i didn't i didn't pick up on that but maybe headphones would have changed it felt like pretty authentically like old timey to me but in terms of the cinematography um i was like back and forth i don't mind it being in black and white i think i actually do prefer it and it kind of adds to the idea of not just that this is about citizen kane but the parallel of kind of another movie that's a fragmented memory of a man's life or you know an impression of one rather than a man's entire story in two hours um but it sometimes i really liked the the styling of that like you could tell sometimes they made things look like it was on a soundstage and maybe it was like they kind of drew attention to the artifice of the filmmaking which is cool and um some scenes it the black and white worked really well and in others to me it was more like kind of a wash of gray like there wasn't enough noiry contrast there like there wasn't enough drama um but what else was I gonna say? Um, yeah, in terms of like the cigarette burns and stuff, it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's a gimmick. Like the first time you see it, you're like, ha ha. And then it just ke- kind of keeps happening. <laughs> and you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a weird thing for a perfectionist like David Fincher to allow. Like, he, he, there was that story that went around before May <laughs> came out where he's hanging out with Steven Soderbergh right. and like Soderbergh is watching Fincher edit one of his movies and Fincher takes a laser pointer and points <laughs> it to like the tiniest corner of the screen and was like, this is a half a stop too dark. We need to turn up the brightness here. And it's like that Soderbergh is like, I would go insane looking at the world that way. And I absolutely would too. I can't imagine that level of perfectionism. But it feels weird that like Fincher in his like perfectionist way was like, yes, we need the cigarette burn here on this frame actually. (laughs) And we need, you know, like he definitely did that. Like those were definitely purposefully placed because that's just the kind of freak he is. But I don't know, it feels weird to me. It's like, it doesn't compute. I almost would have rathered also, like this might not even be a like, this would have been better for the movie type of thing. It might've just been like, I think it would have been fun to see it this way sort of thing. But I almost would have preferred him go harder, go all the way into the old timey look because it still has the like sleek, sharp Fincher edge to everything. It's in black and white, but like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if he like smeared some Vaseline on the lens when Marion <laughs> Davis, Davies is like talking or something, you know, like lean into the glamour and again like the artifice of it like shoot it on film more shoot it on film yeah well that's the thing Uh, for me like responding to what caleb said earlier about liking it more on the tv than on your laptop like i I almost think i would have had the opposite impression like seeing it blown up on the big screen was so bizarre to me because with the exception of roma maybe which i thought was gorgeous I, i don't 
think many Netflix movies really feel like they're meant to be displayed the way movies typically are. And when you're doing a digitally shot black and white like this, it feels so forced. And so in the same way, Netflix, I mean, David Fincher is not getting the same specifications that a lot of Netflix filmmakers do for like <laughs> what their aspect ratio is and what their lenses are to make it look perfect on a fucking iPhone or whatever, but it still feels so forced to be watched on, you know, a smaller screen. And I, I just don't love that. I, I think what you're saying, like as snarky and like pre pretentious as it is to say like shoot on film, like this is the type of movie trying to emulate that older style that would have really actually benefited from that. And like, I don't really agree when Sean Baker says like shoot on film or shoot on an iPhone. Like, I think that's fucking stupid, but <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And the thing about digital is it lets you do things that film doesn't. Like cameras are smaller, you're more mobile. And like, if you're not doing what like Michael Mann does or something like that, where you're actually like changing the way that we look at films, if you're trying to emulate a film style with a digital camera, it just seems so unnecessary. And I don't know, I don't know. Don't want to hate on Fincher too much. Well, Fincher couldn't do his hundred takes with film either. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask Stanley um, Kubrick the... about that. I don't know. Yeah, true. Yeah, good, good point. The the film that they filmed Kane on, like, is still very much like functionable. So wouldn't it have been cool if they used that? Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not like a stickler who really would pull for that, but just well, an idea. Speaking about him being a perfectionist also, do we want to talk about how the Pauline Kael essay, which this seems to be mostly adapted on, was pretty much proven completely untrue like two years later? Well, I, Peter Bogdanovich wrote a response essay that like disproved most of it is my understanding. Yes, but also it's just not about like the authorship of Citizen Kane to me, like or at least not about the like who is who had more of an input, Orson Welles or yeah. Mank. They they have like one tiny argument at the end, and then that's about it. Yeah. And what do you so, think about that like final scene though? Um, of uh Gary Oldman being like whatever the quote was, it's so long I can't even totally remember what it was. But like the last image we get is him like standing outside of his house, like um, the speech was given without the presence of uh, Orson Welles, just like the writing of <laughs> Citizen yeah. Kane. It's pretty funny. It's uh, pretty good. I thought actually the tone of that was very weird and sudden. The or the very the very like right after that, um, the ending was weird. But yeah, I was like, <laughs> is this about alcoholism? <laughs> like yeah. that it like it took a dive to the like he was 55 or whatever is like how it ends. And I was like, oh, I wasn't getting those vibes. Because it romanticizes his alcoholism. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, if it's a film about how alcoholism is bad, like, boy, does it make alcoholism look really fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's like his his genius at the end comes from because he's able to drink while he's writing yeah. Kane. It's, it's just one of those things. Like, if this film doesn't really feel like it's about anything to me, it's just like, is an interesting look into the writing of Citizen Kane and like the connections that Mank had with everyone uh, in, in Hollywood at the time, but it, it just, I didn't get anything out of it other than the ability to say Mank, which is always <laughs> a good time. I think <laughs> that I maybe got the most out of uh, Ben Kingsley's son. Sorry, what's his first name again? Um, uh... Hit the Google. <laughs> Can we get like the Jeopardy music in here? <laughs> we, need, we need a producer. <laughs> yeah, we really do. <laughs> Let's see. Ben Kingsley's son. Which one did he play? Um, 
Thalberg, Ferdinand Kingsley, ah. <clears throat> um, Irving Thalberg. Uh, I like his every line that he said was. Uh, I don't feel like I'll be able to articulate this well, but like, I mean, I was just drawn in every single time he could go on. Like, I mean, those weren't short bits of dialogue either. Um, they were like very calm, like kind of diatribes, like, yeah. and they were delivered so amazingly. And like the character is just really interesting and in how he's not, you know, kind of a typical villain or a like, just you know the big bad hollywood exec who um just kind of cartoonishly prioritizes money or something over all else he was almost um like medical in the way that he talked about the business and he was just kind of like you know this is how i do things this is how things need to get done and you do things your way clearly um i thought his character was like very different from other similar characters or archetypes we see in these like fast-paced snappy jazzy things about old Hollywood um and I appreciated that um we probably should move on to our Fincher Oscars uh but were there any final thoughts I did want to say that there were um great moments especially re-watching it where like the editing lines up perfectly with a line of dialogue and the, the one that comes to mind is when Mank is sitting in his bed and at the same time like his producer comes in to talk to him about how they're gonna fail and they're sneaking in the alcohol at the same time um and the Mank and the producer are having this real quick back and forth conversation and meanwhile they're opening the crate of alcohol and they open it and Mank says let there be light and he's talking in the conversation and that makes sense in the conversation he's having, but he's also clearly referencing the alcohol that they just opened. And like, there are some really great editing moments like that where lines take on new meaning because of the images that they choose to put it against. But any other final thoughts that you guys had before we move on to our Fincher Oscar award show? I don't know why they didn't just have the guy who plays Paul Kinsey in Mad Men play Orson Welles. <laughs> um, but I guess this guy did all right. Yeah. He was, he, was, he was like good at mimicking. Like he looked like and sounded like Orson Welles, but I don't think it was much more than that. Have you all seen the souvenir? Like... Yeah. No. Uh, he is great in the souvenir. Like he was my favorite performance of last year, I think. Is he the main guy? Yeah. Huh. Oh. Like the asshole guy? Yeah. yeah, the abusive boyfriend. And he's f incredible in that film. Huh. But in this, he's just kind of doing a yeah, off-brand Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah. His like voice on, is like great. Like the Vegas Strip, you'd find him like doing that impersonation. <laughs> when yeah. he says, Mank, it's Orson Welles. Yeah, we exactly. Talk. I, I did get kind of chills when, he, when the voice happens because, yeah. you know, his voice is so iconic and uh, he does a decent job. Yeah. I, I would just say as a final thought, uh, I'm glad we got to talk about this because I've talked myself into thinking I don't like this movie that much. Uh, but Lily Collins and Amanda Seyfried were awesome. And yeah, man, Amanda Seyfried is, I, I see people calling this her best performance. And I think First Reformed still kind of takes the cake for that for me. But phew, I think she's going to do some awesome things. And I think people really liked her in this. So I think uh, it's going to help her career a lot. And that makes me happy. But 
And it's funny because I feel like she's always been this good. And it feels like, I don't know, people should have recognized it earlier in her career. She's been around for a while now. Mean Girls was what, like 18 years ago? Lay Miz. She's good in Lay Miz. She's amazing. Jennifer's body. Yeah. Uh, Twin Peaks The Return. (laughs) Yeah, she's great in that. Yeah, did you did you ever see that uh, post on Paul Schrader's Facebook where he asked her on the set of First Reformed, like, what exactly is your character in Twin Peaks The Return? And she was like, I have no idea. <laughs> Bless uh, David Lynch. We need to do a Lynch episode. Yeah. Oh, also really Schrader was not a Mank fan, right? Yeah. I believe it. There was some Facebook post about it. Yeah. That's fine. Well- <laughs> um schrader did schrader did mishima which is a way better biopic and kind of related about artists and writers and that's a better biopic than like most any, biopics yeah than almost any <laughs> biopic except for like raging bull which he wrote you know god schrader anywho uh let's transition to the venture oscar awards the thingies i guess that we hand out um yeah, I'm thinking of ending thingies. Uh, thingies, yeah. So yeah, this is a, something we did for Sofia Coppola. If, if y'all caught that episode, and it was it was a lot of fun to just kind of talk about a director's filmography and arbitrarily hand out an award. We have kind of a system. I've built a spreadsheet where me, Alicia, Brooke, and Arjun can all hand out one, two, and three points to one of the films for like best screenplay. And so you can hand out three points to Zodiac or whatever if you love Zodiac. Or if you're Satan like Brooke and you don't like Zodiac, then you can hand them no points. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's a fun little game and we're going to play it. So um, I guess we'll start out with Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, bring Jason Schwartzman to the stage to uh, announce yeah. our winner. Uh, <laughs> can he win this too? I know he's not acted in a Fincher <laughs> film, but he deserves it. Oh, uh, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, who do you wow. got Arjun yeah, yeah I gotta go first you, you, you've already started inputting it can I get like two seconds to think about this but... uh, see that's I wanted someone to, to start talking while the rest well, okay can we can we decide right now is Brad Pitt going in this category or is okay going yeah in another sure. category because I think that kind of makes my decision for me I haven't seen Fight Club does in not a long me. while is he a supporting actor or is he a lead in my mind they're both equal leads yeah I don't I haven't seen it in a while, but I guess like, I think supporting... I'm fine putting him in lead if nobody else feels strongly about Brad Pitt. But I you would just what? like to say I do not like Fight Club that much as a movie. I, I think Ooh. and maybe Whoa. it's because I went into it knowing the twist. I don't want to get into it too much. But oh, that changes it for sure. Brad Pitt is so phenomenal in that movie. Brad Pitt in the 90s in general just watched 12 Monkeys. He was great in that, too. And I just think he steals that movie for me and I would like to vote him in this category, but if that's not how it's going to go, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm making Wait, do it we do happen. Th- okay. We're, I'm fine we're, with that. Yeah. I'm putting, I'm, I'm do we putting do th- Brad Pitt in the supporting <clears throat> actor category. We do three, two, and one for all the categories? Uh, yeah. Or okay. we can we can change it to... It, it no, matter. I was just checking. Um. <clears throat> Does anybody want to stand up for for one of our? Um... Well, I've got mine. If you want me to hop on it, and yeah, just, yeah, give I, us your I worked three it out one. in my head. My my third is Justin Timberlake in the Social Network. Hot take, but I mean, Ooh. Justin Timberlake was in so many of the great movies of the 2010s. He, he was in Inside Lewin Davis. He was in Pop Star, mm-hmm. Never Stop, Never Stopping, one of the greatest films of all time, and he was in this movie, uh, The Social mm-hmm. Network, which was my favorite movie of the 2010s, and. 
was a steen stealer for me. I, I know we'll probably get some love for Andrew Garfield here, but there's just that quote that he has about how we're going to live on the internet someday lives in my mind rent-free 24 seven. So Justin Timberlake in the social network, my, my second is Robert Downey Jr. in Zodiac, which I'm sure we'll have time to talk about Zodiac later. So I won't <laughs> harp on that too much. And my number one is Brad Pitt in fight club. One of my favorite Brad Pitt performances and yeah, enough said. I'm sure we're gonna talk about that a little bit. <laughs> I'm with you on uh, I'm with you on Robert Downey Jr. and Zodiac as my number two. I think he's great in it. Um, even though he peed on jars on set or whatever that story is, uh, I'm actually gonna give my my third place to Andrew Garfield though, uh, in the Social Network. And actually, Justin Timberlake would probably be the the other choice for me, but. That for me, rewatching it recently, the emotion of like having your best friend betray you. Not that a best friend has betrayed me in my life. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that somehow just hit so hard to me. And it was like, that's heartbreaking. Like, that is like a breakup in a sense. And like, the money isn't even a part of it. Like, you could, it is a part of it because that's how he screws him over. But you can tell what really hurts is that he lost like his close friend uh, and that his close friend would do something like that. Um, but yeah, that's my choice. Brooke, who are you looking okay. at for this award? Well, out of this category, I've only seen Fight Club, The Social Network, and 25 minutes of Zodiac <laughs> before I turned it off because I hated it so much. Um, even though, you know, I love serial killers, all, all four. <laughs> hot take and serial killers in general i'm like yeah pro serial killer brooke yeah <laughs> like pro questionable serial killer anti-covid yeah questionable <laughs> on covid Where are right. we now? <laughs> um let's see so yeah three points to fight club brad pitt and fight club and then yeah like caleb said i'm just andrew garfield just he's just a little cutie in my mind and <laughs> i also from the social network and from his character in that any like time someone's talking about a business idea that they want to start or an app or something no matter how stupid I think it sounds I'm like let me get in on the ground floor of that (laughs) (laughs) because of the like overwhelming fear of missing out um on the next (laughs) Facebook uh so yeah hit me up if you have any business ideas um but yeah I just think he does an amazing job in that He's just so cute. I don't know. He's just adorable. And then since I haven't really seen the other ones, I'll give it to Justin Timberlake for my for my one point <laughs> slot. Alicia, do you have any thoughts on who should win Best Supporting Actor? Yes. Um, Andrew Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> I this is one of like legitimately one of my favorite performances of all time. I think I just really like it. I really like I mean, God, like the little dance that he does when he's wearing his uh, sombrero or whatever at, uh, at um, oh my God, what is it? A.E. Like, Pie. Yeah, um, but Caribbean night with Niagara Falls. <laughs> Niagara Falls, yeah. Um, just like he, he adds so many flourishes in like his actions and his voice that are like ingenious to me. And he is like the emotional center of uh, the social network and why I love that movie so much in large part. Um, I also, I think next, 
my second fave might be Justin Timberlake. I mean, you're wired. He's wired in like I that also echoes through my mind every night as I go to bed. I watch that scene way too frequently. Um, and he's just so good at being like that guy, you know, ordering the apple teenies and just like being somehow being a big shot that that you can be impressed enough by like through Mark to get where he's coming from. But at the same time, you see right through him and he's like slime. Um, he's great. And yeah, Brad Pitt's pretty great in Fight Club. Uh, one point for him. Uh, big congrats to Brad Pitt uh, for his, his award here. Uh, he the reigning winner in the real Oscars. Yeah. Uh, and you know, which one matters more? I don't know. Who's it's a good question. I do say? say you guys you guys have me feeling a little bit bad now because I'm thinking about don't fish, eat other fish, the marlins <laughs> and the trout. <laughs> and kind of regretting my choices a little bit, but I'm not gonna think too much about it. <laughs> In my letterboxed bio. So great. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, all right, let's move on to best supporting actress. Arjun, you've already filled it out. Who you got for this? <laughs> Yeah, I, I've talked enough about uh, Amanda Seyfried in Mank. She was awesome. And I think he it's the best that David Fincher has made a woman look in any of his movies. I'll say Brad Pitt might be the best he's made a person look in any of his movies. But man, the way that he frames Amanda Seyfried and the costume design and the makeup is just stunning. And I, I can't get out of my head. So she gets the third spot. Number two, uh, in a small, small role, but she really only has like 15 total roles in her entire filmography, despite being one of my favorite actresses in the world. Still have not yet caught up on the nest, but it's Carrie Coon uh, in Gone Girl, who plays uh, Ben Affleck's sister and the bartender and steals every scene that she's in, in my opinion, um, just by being Carrie Coon, one of the best actresses alive. She's going to be in Ghostbusters, and it's going to be great, and I'm so excited. Um, and my number one, basically in just one scene, which is stunning because she leaves just a massive footprint on the social network, which... I don't know, maybe I'm just going to end up giving all the actors awards to Social Network because <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg is, for me, what I think uh, Andrew Garfield was for you, Alicia, one of my favorite performances of all time. Uh, but Rooney Mara in that first scene in the restaurant is just undeniable. And really, at what point was not an amazing career for her? I mean, she was an up-and-coming actress, kind of leaving her footprint on the film world and becoming a premier actress who was given some of the best performances of the 2010s. It, it all started with the social network and that tiny 15 minute scene where she is somehow keeping up with that electric dialogue and Jesse Eisenberg, who is just something else that you have never seen in that scene for the first time. And somehow she keeps up with him and she is awesome. And I love that scene so much. One of my favorite movie scenes ever. So Rennie Mara, number one. Uh, I'll agree with that. Rooney Mara is my number two. However, I'm going to go Amanda Seyfried as my first, just because I think that her character is such a great answer to Susan, Susan in Citizen Kane, right? It's is it Susan oh, yeah, Alexander. Susan, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and her as the like, obviously, like there was some inspiration to have an actress be the Kane wife, but the real she plays like the real life Marion Davies with like such intelligence and heart and like she is the woman in a man's world whenever she's in those scenes in the in the mansion 
and you can tell she's fighting against it but also like she knows that that's futile so you know she she'll excuse herself and uh but but then she'll she'll, she finds like she's simpatico with mank and Mm -hmm that frees her up to be like more of herself when they take that great walk that's one of my favorite scenes when they take the walk on the grounds um and i love her line where she says um uh i'm gonna forget the line as soon as i say that i love her line uh oh like you'll never make a monkey out of harman make what or or not uh william randolph hearst i'm botching the line (laughs) um whatever that line was great and uh it's a great trailer line it's a great line of the movie so that's my top choice and also helena bonham carter does a good job she's my last choice booker alicia y'all got any thoughts on take it away brooks got case two number one here i appreciate that i'm putting all all my cards on Kristen street because I just rewatched Panic Room. Um, wow, what an what an interesting film that was. And I was just reflecting. I don't even know if this is fair because I'm not sure if it's Kristen Stewart's performance that I'm appreciative of. But her character is the only one like putting in the work in this film. Like Jodie Foster, I don't know. She just did some dumb things in that movie that I would not have done. But also. I was, reflecting on, <laughs> I was reflecting on uh, how good of a mother-daughter pairing they are. Like, you wouldn't think of it. But they have, like, the same weird voice, the same, like, weird acting style of just kind of, like, standing there and stuttering and, like, flinching a little bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was like, ah, this is, this is good. Whoever, like, casted this made, like, a good good decision here um i think both lesbians is kristen stewart confirmed she's she's queer in some yeah she's not straight she's not straight so i was just like oh, this is <laughs> this is great casting um so yeah all, all my points to her but if i have to divvy them out i guess yeah same same thing amanda seyfried and mank number two she was also just i just loved the scenes just between her and mank i think the best actually those were like my favorite moments with her and she also just looked really pretty in this movie <laughs> like i thought they did an excellent job like i just love that hair and like i particularly love um at the like last 20 minutes ending scene when he's like he's going on his rant or whatever i love her like casual like eye eye looks eye contact and then there's one moment where like she has on the big eyelashes and she's like closes her eyes and like is done with his bullshit and i was like oh i relate so hard to that <laughs> um so really liked that and then yeah carrie coon and gone girl gets my gets my one point for basically everything <laughs> arjun said as well so yeah kristen stewart though did anyone watch Happiest Season? I was disappointed by that. I was also kind of disappointed by Happiest Season. It just yeah. didn't, like, I was screaming at her the whole time, like, get out. You know, yeah. it's get out lesbian Christmas edition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, uh, I, I won't spoil the ending. But, we'll talk about it. Yeah. We'll talk about it for our upcoming Christmas or holiday season episode. Check Quick it out. Plug. Good, good plug. Uh Alicia, thoughts on best supporting actress? Um, yeah, so it turns out I did the exact same thing as Arjun. Um I in if 
it was really hard because I also really love Kristen Stewart and Panic Room. Um, it feels like it feels really underrated to me because it's so like realistic, but she's great. Um, but I'm gonna give one point to Amanda Seyfried and Mank, yeah, for all the reasons people said she's really good at be, like her character, you know, is like both smart and dumb at the same time in really specific and like interesting ways. And her the the banter with Mank just plays like so smooth it's like music to your ears and at the same time like I also I really like how she was far more of a character than Hearst was I mean obviously Charles Dance is like a god and he has like an amazing presence but she I mean she made her presence like more than known she was amazing and yeah she looked like I I could just look at her for a long time um <laughs> then Yep. Uh, Carrie Coon, love of light and love of me and Arjun's lives. Um, she's great. She's great at being like, not just the sardonic sister and like the one who calls him out on his shit in Gone Girl, but also the one who, while she, you know, does and is all those things, can't help but still love and defend him, even when he's being like a little turd. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, and she wears cool t-shirts. Rooney Mara, Social Network, um, takes the three. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't, the movie wouldn't work without that performance. I mean, she she delivers the rosebud, right? Like, it's it sticks in your brain. Um, and it needs to stick in your brain True. for the whole movie in order for it to function, and it does. Um, all right, so drum roll. Uh... <laughs> the the best the award the thingy for best supporting actress of Finchy. the David Fincher the Finchy uh <laughs> the Finchy goes to Rooney Mara in the social network although it was close Amanda Seyfried gave a gave her a run for her money um let's move on to best screenplay and uh Arjun why don't you start us off with who, who you think is best there yes I'm glad I'm going first because I, I gotta pee um <laughs> my number three choice uh is the game and I had a tough choice with these because there are a lot of good screenplays uh which makes me think about what <laughs> David Fincher really is as an auteur and artist because most filmmakers write a lot of their own scripts and he hasn't written any and my favorite ones were written by him, although we'll get into the social network, I'm sure at some point, but the game is so inventive and it's a thing that I harp on a lot because I hate the state of modern movie making, but it really is something that they just don't make them like this anymore. An original kind of high concept, decently sized budget movie directed by a big name actor or director and starring big name actors. That's just so fucking fun. And the twist lands, at least for me, it did when I watched it five or six years ago for the first time. And it's just so heart pulsing and fun. And man, I miss movies that are like this that don't, you know, involve the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my number two uh, is Gone Girl, which holy fuck, I don't know if you guys knew the twist of Gone Girl going into watching it, but that is maybe the most stunned I have ever been watching a movie when, um, what's her name? Rosamund Pike starts talking in the car with the blonde hair. It blew my mind. I think I was watching it on an airplane on my iPad, my jaw just like dropping into my pants. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? And 
there's no way that Gillian Flynn, who also wrote one of my other favorite scripts of the 2010s, Widows, could have anticipated Ben Affleck being put into this role. But man, it feels like it was written for Ben Affleck. And I just can't get over that. And Gone Girl is an incredible movie and a movie I revisit so often, I think in large part because of its amazing script and maybe less so because of Fincher, but it's really spectacular what Gillian Flynn does. Has it been read the book? I wonder yeah I wonder how much like it you know translates because adaptation is an art in and of itself and it for sure yeah and I think a big part of it was it was was like a big hit the summer it was released like a big summer reading list book because of that twist and you know kind of like making the book club rounds because people are like holy shit when you get to page whatever you are not fucking gonna believe it and man like that's exactly the kind of thing that you get in movies where it's like I don't know, like M. Night Shyamalan probably had that effect way back in the day and <laughs> Fight Club, frankly, probably had that effect way back in 1999. But you just really don't get that anymore. Maybe because of just the oversaturation of film Twitter, but I don't know, it's awesome. And watching that for the first time was really spectacular. And number one, social network, there's not much else you need to say about it. I think it was a marvelous collaboration between Aaron Sorkin, who I find oftentimes pretty tedious. You can go back and listen to our trial of the Chicago seven for more on that. And his collaboration with David Fincher, who pretty much just said parts of this aren't going to work. You got to fucking get rid of it. And I think it's awesome. Like Caleb was saying, he's such a precisionist who really wants things to be tight. And that's not what Aaron Sorkin is. And I think their marriage and what went from the screenplay onto the screen is spectacular. And it's my favorite movie, I think, in large part because of that screenplay and Jesse Eisenberg, who I'll get into. But that screenplay. It's your favorite movie ever? Uh, my favorite movie of the 2010s. <laughs> oh. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, at least it was when I made that list. I We ought to we'll do like it. a best of the 2010s episode <laughs> when we're bored in February. Yeah, um, for sure. Because even now I made my list like back in January and I'm thinking about it and I'm like, do I like Gone Girl more than Social Network? But we'll get into it later this episode. Um, Yeah, Social Network sure. is an awesome script and can't get over it. <laughs> um, go pee. Oh, good call. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll quickly just jump on the social network train for every reason that Arjun said. I think it it takes the best parts of Sorkin and Fincher sanded out in the worst parts of Sorkin, and it's a just crackerjack of a script. Uh, Zodiac is my number two, and nobody else is giving it love, so I'm happy to give it love. Um, I think it is. It is not a sexy script, I don't think. It is not one where you remember lines and you remember like, oh, that was really clever. That was really witty. That was, you know, something like a Meg screenplay, which is in your face about how clever it is. But I think structurally, it's so perfect at winding this mystery and like you know watching it that it, it is not going to be solved at the end of the movie um but somehow still keeps you so ingrained in it at least for me um and i remember just being absolutely chilled at the ending and um i'll get to other parts of uh zodiac later but that's my number two uh and gone girl is my number three for every reason that we've talked about so far brooke yeah same same thing here um i'm going in here like just with vibes no no really thought or knowledge of any of these uh 
really any of these directors or uh, or screenwriters or anything or the or the actors just pure vibes um the social network is one where like film people also just like jag off to and just like start salivating when they talk about it and it's one that I'm on board for I'm like yes (laughs) it's so good so see it's not just like me wanting to be wanting to go against (laughs) go against the grain here (laughs) so maybe I just truly do find Citizen Kane bad but yeah I just love the social network and I'll we'll talk about that probably for the are we doing like a a score like one two because I we do a oh for screenplay are we doing one for like music score yeah yeah there there's a score section I I really like that for social network just those like oh yeah though that's that's amazing which is part of the reason that I like it so much but just in terms of I I uh I'm a big I guess I guess I am a big like Sorkin fan and like Caleb was talking about I I'm one to love the like unraveling of a mystery kind of thing and like Sorkin just always kind of like delivers it to you with like the the kind of courtroom stuff and I'm just a big fan of that so yeah Number one for that, and then Gone Girl. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> this also makes me a terrible person. Um, I am one to look up plots of movies and read them <laughs> before before I watch them. I just want to like be informed <laughs> before God. I head in there. So I I knew about Gone Girl going into it, but um, just such a good movie. I want to go back to it like time and again. And then number three, what did I put? Oh, yeah, I'm a big Benjamin Button stand too. <laughs> I don't know. I said I'm going in this with just vibes. Uh, Brad Pitt, I don't know. I watched it like maybe like two months ago and I cried like throughout a good, a good chunk of it. I don't know what I was going through mentally at the time. But uh, ever since that watch, I'm like, yes, this is... A masterpiece just such a cool concept and I thought it was well done and like Brad Pitt's just cute in it and yeah just made me cry <laughs> so I love it like old man Brad Pitt is cute in it he oh, is actually all the letterboxd <laughs> reviews were like I wasted like an hour and a half waiting for Brad Pitt to get hot and I was like excuse you <laughs> the whole storyline with Tilda like he is still looking good but also when um when Kate Blanchett just says oh my god you're perfect I feel like that sums up a lot of things <laughs> in that movie anyway. yeah yeah he's he's hot right out of the gate shriveled up old man body and all <laughs> I'm like yep uh, Alicia <laughs> um yeah why don't we just talk about that for the rest of our time actually okay um <laughs> um yeah oh i'm the same as arjun again actually um (laughs) the social network think for yourself we just have superior taste i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) yeah um that's it uh social network i feel like i don't really need to explain any further it is perfect um gone girl also i mean the cool girl monologue alone i know that it's like it's i feel like it's almost associated with kind of a cringy like older wave of feminism now or like we stan like (laughs) 
um amy dunn queen like <laughs> you know but um i mean it's still really it's still really good and uh then i also am gonna go with the game for my one point um it's just it's like awesome it's it's kind of a simple formula but just like it puts the twists in unpredictable places and like the twists themselves are like you know kind of that they're going to happen but you don't know how or when and like how many of them <laughs> and it just um it like kind of works like clockwork it's just a really cool movie yeah all righty well the uh the finchie for best screenplay goes to the social network so that's another award it's going to be the marie antoinette of uh this award show probably uh for the social network uh let's do production design and let's go let's go through this one and and makeup and hair and and those a little bit quicker uh because we can just kind of zip through these but uh arjun you've been going first are you ready for best production design yeah sure i mean i'm not gonna say much i don't know too much about production design but uh social network number one because they make john hopkins look like uh stunning and that little house that they got in uh in california i think is pretty cute and i like it and uh the scene at the club, I like to imagine because uh, there wasn't actually a club going on in the background, just like <laughs> Justin Timberlake and <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg screaming at each other in complete <laughs> silence. Um, yeah, and uh, number two, the game. I like the tower. Um, and uh, number three, Fight Club. It's nice, especially the terrorist house. True. True, true, that house. Oh, that might change. Oh, and then they're like holding hands on the building and everything's collapsing. And then it's also in the leftovers, which is good. I like the leftovers. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go Zodiac as my top one again, because nobody's giving love to Zodiac. Um, And I'm thinking of the basement, particularly when he's like, nobody in California has a basement. And then he's like, yeah, come down to the basement with me. And you think Gyllenhaal's about to get axed that scene is terrifying to me it is like so chilling and i love it and that's my number one um seven for is my number two because i can still picture a lot of those interiors and like don't they never name the city they're in it's just like blankly like gross city that is like dirty and mucky and is just a great atmosphere of that awesome it's in the it's it's the it's gonna be in the dce actually <laughs> uh and then fight club for the reasons arjun just swayed me away from the game uh brooke as a professional production designer yourself um cool. <laughs> you do have screen credits as a production designer That's uh true. what is what is your expert opinion Ooh. okay mm. <laughs> um uh, okay, I'm switching mine. Last minute. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with, I'm just trying to remember. It's not like, even though I'm a professional production designer, um, you know, I don't really like watch a movie and then see my colleagues in that same way. <laughs> um, I'm more focused on, focused on other things. So, you know, I don't want to get too into it and say I would have done all this differently. Um, but yeah, I'll go with Fight Club just because I remember being like, viscerally uh disgusted by by a lot of the things that were happening in that house and then 
obviously like the final scene like I don't know it's like very important to that too and then honestly Gone Girl which we haven't talked about for production design yet but I feel like a lot of the environments there like are really good at reflecting like this sterile cold like nature of um what's the main character's name Amy Amy Dunn yeah um Amy done with his shit and so I feel like it's like a really good reflective of that and then um, I guess my my final place will be social network then for all the reasons that Arjun said as well gotcha Alicia best production design um yeah okay so one point to the game um it just it I mean it does really well with the whole like um Michael Douglas's like his character's world of kind of yeah like cold sterile richness (laughs) just like rich (laughs) and then um it also kind of as he goes through the game it just gives like a really cool fun house uh or like you know mirror maze kind of vibe to everything it's really well done and the the scene at the end um which i guess i won't spoil uh is that's uh set is really memorable really memorable to me for some reason i find it kind of gorgeous um two points to the social network um because of all the reasons arjun listed and also um i mean the uh regatta like the boat race is amazing uh i mean i won't speak more on that because it just is and then uh three points to um seven because uh I mean, it, it's gross, it sticks with you, it's very noir. True. Uh, and the, the Finchie for best production design goes to, once again, the social network. Guys, <laughs> I was trying to break us out of the mold. I didn't give a point to social network here, but it looks like that film is just too good. Uh, best he made production Baltimore design. look like Cambridge. <laughs> it's impressive it's impressive except everyone from cambridge was like this sucks yeah. um, well it doesn't exactly make harvard look super great yeah <laughs> uh best costume design makeup and hair i shoved all of these into one because i don't know much about them um but just generally how a character looks uh in these films i realized i left off benjamin button in the Hmm. in the list when alicia and arjun were going through and making their picks so if that makes a difference uh know that now before you answer that one probably would have played a role in production design i don't know i think i guess i forgot that there too wow uh (laughs) just a forgettable film i guess (laughs) (laughs) sorry brooke by default it's because i said the thing about citizen kane isn't it (laughs) Yes, this is shutting you down, Brooke. <laughs> this claim has been disputed to everything <laughs> so far this episode. Um, <laughs> Arjun, best costume yeah, design. Yeah, sure. I'm going to keep hair. this short. I don't know yeah. much about uh, makeup or hair, but I love costume design. And I'm just going to say one thing from each of these that I really like. Um, my third place goes to the social network for mark zuckerberg's little hoodie yeah um my second place goes to girl with the dragon tattoo for the titular eponymous dragon tattoo which is so cool um i'll talk more about rooney mara later who in fincher's very slim pickings of uh female lead characters is incredible and uh number one is fight club because that red jacket (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and the hair. Brad Pitt's hair is nice in that too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Fight Club as my third place because of how Brad Pitt looks the entire time. Uh, second place, I'm gonna give Benjamin Button just because I'm not gonna vote it for anything else, so I'm gonna give it that. Uh, and then first place, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, because Rooney Mara, just her whole look is crazy, and it's a really iconic look, sticks in your mind. And also, um, I would name my firstborn daughter Rooney because of her. Not for this character, just I really love Rooney Mara. Uh, Brooke? Yes, costume I have design, not makeup and seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, so that may, <laughs> I'm not voting for it, obviously. Um, I'm going to give my number one to Mink, honestly. Maybe, like, only for Amanda Seyfried's character looking real pretty. I just love, love the curls, love the style. Thought they did an amazing job with that. Love the really weird outfit that she's wearing at the end there like dressed as like a toy soldier almost I don't know it was just it was incredible loved all of her looks stole the show for me um number two to fight club same reasons also main character unnamed man he does a good job of like looking dead and mentally unhinged (laughs) um so they did they did a good job there and then uh curious case of Benjamin Button just because brad pitt through all stages of life still looked good (laughs) uh alicia um yeah am i muted no i'm not um yeah i'm gonna give one to mank because i mean it is amazing i think that like i sometimes have an aversion to um like focusing a lot on period stuff for like best costume and whatever because because i'm like you know people put too much of a focus on it but it is really good in that and yeah the like toy soldier like band like marching band outfit is super cool and she looks amazing all the way throughout fight club two points um i mean yeah brad pitt is unreal uh three points to the social network because everything is just really smart and calculated the way that like andrew garfield's suits fit um the like t-shirts with blazers the like adidas sliders and everything about the way that they styled um uh army hammer as the winkle vi and it is hard because i think that in girl with the dragon tattoo lizbeth's look is like so iconic and um very cool but yeah and benjamin button it does have great costumes but the other ones i think are better well, his Prada was at the cleaners with his fuck you flip flops. So. Yep, that's right. The <laughs> uh, Finchie for best costume design, makeup, and hair goes to Fight Club. So we're breaking the mold. We're giving it to Brad Pitt. He deserves it. <laughs> uh, best score and soundtrack. Um, the answer is the Social Network, and there's no other answer. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> uh, yep. No, we can we can go through these. Um, but I, uh, Arjun, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I, I chose all <laughs> Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross soundtracks. I mean, you know, Gone Girl number three, Dragon Tattoo number two, Social Network number one. I still listen to the Social Network soundtrack like once a week. Um, <laughs> listen to it like every time I need to get anything done and it's perfect. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm also going Social Network for the same exact reasons. I really love going after you, Arjun, because I can. I just say like, yeah, same. And then Arjun said. <laughs> uh, what Arjun said, uh, yeah, I work to the social network all the time. And that like piano riff of like, dun, dun, dun. 
just instantly trans transports me back to the film. Like the one that's like boom, ba-da-da-dum, bum bum. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, <laughs> second place, I'm gonna give Mank because I'm a big jazz boy and I think they do a good job uh, with the rhythm of the film and it works with what they're given. Uh, and then Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is my number one just because I remember it like having some real weird versions of songs I already knew and that's just always cool to me. So uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is my third place. Um, Alicia, skipping yeah. Brooke. I'm sorry, um, I don't know why I did that. Uh, three points, Social Network, obviously. Um, yeah, I like to mope around at hand covers bruise as much as the next gal. And whenever <laughs> I'm looking on the computer, like it makes me feel like I'm on some sort of like I'm solving a puzzle and I'm also like very hot but very sterile at the same time and <laughs> like everything becomes bluish green and then I'll give two to Gone Girl because it's like I mean it's still amazing it's not quite as good as Social Network but I still listen to it in my free time and then Girl with a Dragon Tattoo honestly out of like all the remaining ones uh, remaining ones I don't remember the scores super mm -hmm. vividly they're not like super memorable to me but i watched girl with the dragon tattoo recently and like i think the, the score was good so yeah <laughs> there's also girl with the dragon tattoo trailer has a version of immigrant song that is yeah. so good from trey reznor and atticus ross yeah that's kind of why i picked it i think <laughs> oh can i also i mean the, also with the social network obviously like the that trailer is one of the most iconic trailers of all time and the choir version of creep has unfortunately because it's so amazing set off this insane trend that somehow has not ended in the year of our lord 2020 like <laughs> of every trailer just taking a classic song slowing it down to be like a haunt i mean the cw does it now for like riverdale trailers <laughs> shut up i mean that's the the worst and the worst example in recent memory i'm Hashtag also thinking release the snyder cut we're a pro <laughs> snyder cut podcast we're gonna get it and <laughs> it will surely disappoint Next <laughs> uh best oh the thingy goes to social network obviously best uh <laughs> oh wait oh i did i forgot i skipped you brooke i'm sorry um, <laughs> i also skipped you i'm sorry that's okay brooke, that's okay best I, score vamp uh brain power what little I have left. So yeah. I be voting for one for the remainder of these categories. Um, I'm only giving all my points to Social Network because uh, I don't remember the, <laughs> the soundtracks and the score from any of the other films, mm. even like Make, which I just watched. None of them were as uh, left much of an impression. So yeah, Social Network just makes me want to fuck over all my friends and start an internet empire. So that's Isn't it. that what we're doing? There yeah <laughs> also real quick podcast, guys? <laughs> um the resner and raw social network score is in ken burns's vietnam a lot too which slaps also <laughs> oh my god yeah okay. wow. um best cinematography oh jesus uh best cinematography oh arjun's not ahead of the game this time so i'll go first then uh Flying by the seat of my pants. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. We're going to go Zodiac number one, baby. Actually, we're going seven number one. I thought about it a little bit more. Uh, seven, I remember having just like the, the color palette of that film being so disgusting and red and orange and like 
dragging you into a the neo-noir world and uh i really that i haven't seen seven since i was like a ninth grader i think and it still sticks in my mind and that's special to me uh zodiac number two baby because i love that film and uh i'm again thinking of that basement scene and the cinematography has a lot to do with why that's so chilling uh and then number one uh, i don't know we'll give it a mank it's a unique looking one of fincher's filmography and uh uh, we'll give it to mank for the reasons i said earlier in the podcast arjun What's your number three Zodiac? I also think it's great, but my favorite scene is the one in the car. Um, scary, hurdy gurdy man, good song. Um, two, uh, Gone Girl. I love everything about Gone Girl, but the way it looks, especially that scene in the snow in New York City, and the way that like the cinematography so perfectly like delineates between the gross suburbia and the nice city when they're starting out their relationship is awesome. And it fits the theme and tone of the movie perfectly, I think. And number one fight club, because it, you know, revolutionized CGI in a lot of ways, I think. And there are so many scenes in that movie that are just so cool looking, especially that last scene, which I'm not a huge, huge fan of fight club, but is one of my favorite movie scenes and movie endings ever. Um, And I think you know, proves a lot of the toxicity around Fight Club to be kind of off base if you watched that last scene. But yeah, the way it looks is awesome. And I love Fight Club sometimes, parts of it. <laughs> um, Brooke, what are your thoughts on these? Yeah, um, three points to Gone Girl, two points to Fight Club, one point to seven for all of the above reasons. <laughs> there you go, Alicia? Um, yeah, three to Zodiac, because I feel like a lot of what makes the movie good and not boring uh, to people other than Brooke is because <laughs> of the cinematography. And yeah, Hurdy Gurdy Man, that scene, think about it all the time. Social Network, two points. Um, I mean, the it's mostly the deposition scenes for me, like the, the really strategic uh, cutting back and forth between characters to like, build tension and get the like really important reaction shots out of certain characters it it, like basically creates the like emotional story um and then one point to gone girl because it's good (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so we're the the finchy for best cinematography goes to zodiac because i did a little wheeling and dealing um zodiac was tied with gone girl and so i switched my my first place to zodiac so i could take it uh take that prick <laughs> i just i truly don't understand like i don't remember what i didn't like about it i just remember it being like so bad that i oh turned god. it off oh my god Best funny, i don't even margin. like it that much but suddenly i'm like like you're a like, zodiac uh, apologist yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like it's good <laughs> yeah <laughs> Argent, best editing? Yeah, I don't have too many strong thoughts about this. I, I mean, Social Network is the one that won the Oscar, so it feels a little bit lame throwing it at it, but I guess that's what we did for score, so I'm fine putting that as my number one because that's the only one where I really feel like it is an extraordinary piece of editing and rightfully rewarded, which I don't always feel about the actual Oscars. So my Finchie would go to the social network. Um, Number two, Gone Girl. I think the tension and the way that the editing sort of supports that tension and that twist, I mean, it wouldn't work the same without some great editing. And uh, Fight Club would be my number three. 
just don't want to talk about Fight Club too much more, but I think it's well edited. <laughs> there you go. Um, I'm gonna go Fight Club because I'm those. There's something about the editing in those Fight Club scenes where they're having Fight Club that is so visceral to me, and I remember it. And I don't usually like action scenes, but just generally they lose my attention. But uh, that scene definitely didn't. So that's my most points. Second, I am going to give it my second place to Social Network because uh, for all the reasons you said, Arjun. <laughs> um, and I think it's brilliant in how it flips back from the uh, deposition scenes to the action of the story. And it goes between them so easily and so like fluidly that it's just really, it's brilliant editing. It really is. And uh, Gone Girl, I'm given because I haven't given Gone Girl enough praise. I really do like the movie, but I haven't talked about it enough. So Gone Girl is my third place. Brooke. Yeah, editing is like not one of those things that I really like pay attention to too much, which I think for like obviously a lot of things you might, you're not supposed to pay attention to it in Hollywood a lot of the times. But yeah, it's really important that Arjun goes first here because I kind of just <laughs> jump on a lot of what he's saying. So Social Network definitely gets my number one slot. And then Fight Club, I really do love that and love everything that's happening there. I guess I would give my third place to Mank though. Um, maybe just because it's like most fresh in my mind here. But I really liked like a lot of the things that were happening there. And some of the like transitions were so fucking smooth. I was like, I, I had to like rewind to see, watch it again and see what was happening. So I did appreciate it for that. Alicia? Um, also, I'm realizing with the last category, I feel like I said the word editing because I was like kind of half looking at the editing category, <laughs> but I was, I those were my picks that I was talking about cinematography. Anyway, editing. Um, I will give three points to Gone Girl because the the way that it flows with the voiceover is like they work really well in tandem together and um and the the twist is I mean it relies on the editing a lot uh social network for uh two points because I mean again with the deposition scenes like and just the the way that the characters interact with each other also leans really heavily on uh, the editing and their emotional journeys. And then Fight Club won because it, um, yeah, it kind of sets the tone of the movie to me. Agreed. Uh, and uh, the Fenchy for best editing goes to the social network, although <laughs> Fight Club gave it a run for its money. So good for Fight Club. Uh, we're getting down. We have we have best leading actor, best leading actress, best direction, and our best picture. Arjun, why don't you talk us through your uh, best directing choices? Yeah, I, I won't say too much, I don't think, because with somebody like Fincher, who doesn't write his own movies, it's not going to be much different from my best picture. And I will say, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in this podcast, I think, justifying why I've made some of my choices for Fight Club. And I'm starting to realize maybe I just kind of like Fight Club. And I kind of thought that solidified for me as my top three Fincher were Social Network, Gone Girl, and Zodiac. But I'm starting to realize maybe after having watched Zodiac last night for the first time in a while that Fight Club might take that number three spot. So Social Network, number one, uh, Gone Girl, number two, and Fight Club, number three. Although I'd really like to watch uh, Dragon Tattoo because I remember really liking that at the time. And I'm not remembering it perfectly, I don't think. 
Yeah, um, I'm going to go Zodiac as my my number one, and that'll probably be my best picture too. I just, I really, Zodiac enthralls me, and it sent me on, when I first watched it, on the whole, like, we've all done serial killer binges where we go and read about serial killers. That's a thing we all do, and it's normal. Uh, and that definitely set me on that path. Uh, two, I'll go Gone Girl, because I think uh, it's well-directed. Uh, third, I'm going to... I'm gonna pick um shoot why not we're gonna go fight club because uh you know as stereotypical as it is that was definitely a formative film for me and uh uh it's a really interesting balance of tones which if that's what we say what good directing is like balancing tones properly he does it well in fight club uh brooke okay wait maybe i figured out why i don't like zodiac it's because like were were you already like on the serial killer track no. or like okay so I already as I said am a lover of serial killers and have consumed a lot of like crime genre stuff and then like I don't know part of the reason I was a psychology major was because I really liked learning about the serial killers so I was already in that world and then I watched Zodiac maybe like three years ago. And it disappointed me. So maybe that is that is why. That was your first little taste of the serial killers. Mm-hmm. And I had just seen so many other like mediums and texts that were so like so much more interesting. But yeah. I'll give Are you a, a mind I hunter guess fan. I was gonna Brooke? ask the same thing, Alicia. I was just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a mind hunter fan? Oh, I watched like I got bored of it <laughs> after the first, after like- Oh my God, I had someone watch and they were like, nothing happens. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll rewatch it just for like, didn't, what, like, who's the, who's the main actor in that? I've like- Jonathan Graff. The Hamilton guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read something that was like, this poor man had to like, ask around about how you were supposed to like, how you were supposed to- like have sex with a woman he's adorable i was like oh i should go back to it just to see him try to try to eat out this woman but um, (laughs) anyways needless to say zodiac was not in my best direction but i give my number one to gone girl number two to fight club and then i don't really know that panic room had the best direction um i just wanted to give it my third place slot just because like had a good time thought it was an interesting concept. I am someone that um, I have like an an apocalypse prepper tendency uh, (laughs) and I have a go bag ready. So it just made me like want to invest in a panic room at some point in my life. Uh, So yeah, number three to that. Uh, Sounds good to me, Alicia. Um, Well, I didn't include panic room in my picks, but I like that, Brooke, because you're right. Like it always takes a lot of skill to do a really cool like closed room or like Mm -hmm. locked room psychological thriller so you have a good point there Mm -hmm. but um yeah social network first place with three points uh i won't go into that uh gone girl second place two points i won't go into that and um maybe i won't go into any of these fight club (laughs) with one point uh i mean it's hard i think it's it tone is the biggest thing there like it's funny because the other two usually tone is what I go off of when I'm trying to determine like quality of direction just because it's yeah it's like the go-to kind of detector but um 
I feel like with Gone Girl and the Social Network, that wasn't really the case. And with Fight Club, even though it's in my third place, it, I think it tackles the most difficult uh, tone and um, does does a deft job at it. Yeah. I am so glad our tastes are coalescing like this, Alicia. You <laughs> <laughs> know, it's fun. <laughs> uh, and the Finchie for best direction goes to Gone Girl. Um, I'm not convinced you aren't juicing these numbers a little bit, Caleb, but I'm, no, I'm going to ignore look at it. The, <laughs> look at it. So just by, I think, I think if we had done best picture first, I'm not sure if your uh, social network aversion would have still popped out, but I'm, I'm fine with it. Uh, fine yeah. With so it. social network will make its appearance in best uh, picture. I just, I really wanted to see something else win. And so I'm glad. Now I kind of want to like, look at the spreadsheet after we're done and see that like every single thing has just been completely miscalculated. <laughs> Caleb is like cooking these books. <laughs> uh, yeah. Best leading actor, Arjun, why don't you give us your picks? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to preface this realizing how many great performances and great actors gave amazing performances. And a lot of that, I'm sure, is accredited to David Fincher is sort of making me realize that maybe I don't like David Fincher that much, even though I do like a lot of his movies, just, you know, supported by a lot of prolific screenwriters and amazing acting performances. You know, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but um Truly, number one, Jesse Eisenberg giving one of my favorite performances of all time in The Social Network. I cannot ever stop thinking about him in that deposition room and everything that he does in there. Um, you have the tiniest part of my attention. Like, I just kills me. I, I love it. I, I, there's not much more I can say about it. We've talked a lot about The Social, social Network today, but man, I think Eisenberg is one of the best actors out there right now. And that is a incredible performance. Um, number two, Ben Affleck paying, playing Ben Affleck in mm -hmm. Gone Girl is incredible. And uh, number one, or number three, Brad Pitt in Seven. Is that what I put? Yeah, Brad Pitt in Seven. <laughs> I think I might have put that because I forgot that we switched uh, Brad Pitt and Fight Club out of it, but I'm fine with that. What's in the box? That's uh, That's great, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Even um, though they stole it from Barton Fink. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Gyllenhaal is my number three best leading actor. My or my my top choice, um, because he's almost kind of doing a proto Jesse Eisenberg's role. Like it almost is a precursor to it. In this like nervous, awkward guy who's who is trying to tackle something that um, he's he's not maybe not qualified for, but uh, is going to give it his all anyway. Um, I guess that's not really Jesse Eisenberg. I mean, he knows what he's doing in, in the social network, but something about how this, this case slowly drives this cartoonist mad in Zodiac and how the contrast between him and Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo and how the Zodiac case affects all of them um, is brilliant to me. So I'm going to give him my most points. Uh, then Jesse Eisenberg, because it's brilliant. Oh my God, it's a brilliant performance. And uh, it's, it's a case, Fincher is really good at casting people in like the perfect roles, like and, and oftentimes it's like unconventional casting. I don't know that Eisenberg was unconventional per se, but it really uses his talents uh, to its extreme. Random shout out to Bill Nye being in Mank. We didn't talk about that. Um, Wait, that's what? pretty awesome. He's Playing Upton me? Sinclair. He's Upton Sinclair. He's, I he, missed it. <laughs> I 
That's he not gives real. the speech. He gives the speech where Mank walks out and sees Upton Sinclair giving a speech, and he's like, "The rich take your money." And I would not have known if I had an IMDb. It. Holy shit. It was his voice was immediate to me, and I was like, "That's Bill Nye." And then you see the back <laughs> of his head. Ah, oh, so good. Uh, anyways, wild. Ben Affleck is my third choice because he plays himself, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Brooke. Yes. Okay. Number one slot, Jesse Eisenberg, Social Network. Not an unconventional pick there. He's just that, like, just the first from the first scene. He's, like, more of Mark Zuckerberg to me than Mark Zuckerberg is. Um, And then my number two, Edward Norton, Fight Club. I feel like we're not giving him enough love. Like, I think he does an amazing job. Um, Yeah, he's, yeah, that's, that's it. He's just my number two. And then number one, Ben Affleck, Gone Girl. Such a strange, non-feeling man. <laughs> but yeah. True. Um, Alicia. Before I say mine real quick, I just want to touch on like how uh, special the casting of Bill Nye was as Upton Sinclair because I feel like it ties into what um, Arjun was saying with like, I mean, those conversations at the Hearst Castle, Castle like are unfortunately pretty timeless like every single thing that they say seems like very applicable to our current political state and having Bill Nye who's become this kind of Mm -hmm. um like ethical and scientific compass and like kind of raging against the machine this this guy who used to be like you know a kind of neutral uh like family friendly sort of figure has like stood up and used his voice anyway I'm gonna go with Jesse Eisenberg uh in first place with three points obviously yeah have I adequately answered your condescending question um uh Jake Gyllenhaal Zodiac two points um because yeah like you you said that he is almost like a proto uh uh Eisenberg as Zuckerberg, right? Eisenberg. <laughs> God, they, I mean, they have become the same person to me. But um, I think he's almost like a proto Lou Bloom in that movie. He, mm-hmm. you know, Jill and Hall just like really um, kind of hangs on that creepiness in mm-hmm. a really good way. And then in third place, I'm between Ed Norton and Fight Club, I am Jack's Raging Bile Duct, and um ben affleck and gone girl just like that smile that nick dunn gives at the press conference it's hard um point to each i'm i'll do edward norton yay (laughs) (laughs) and it's because i'm vindictive that um ben affleck is still with anna de armas and i'm afraid they're gonna like have a kid together (laughs) yeah maybe they're perfectly happy to the finchies uh fuck (laughs) you (laughs) Um, great. So the, uh, the Finchie for best leading actor goes to Jesse Eisenberg pretty handily. Uh, two more categories. Let's wrap this up because I need to get to that birthday Zoom. Uh, best leading actress, uh, Arjun. Oh, wait, Brooks, you're not ready. Brooke, you're ready. What's uh, yeah, your best leading actress? There aren't many choices because yeah, there aren't many, not many leading ventures. David. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rosamund Pike. Gone Girl, pretty obvious, great performance, so good, like voiceover alone, <laughs> um, really great. And then number two, Jodie Foster, I don't know, she just does such a good job of playing that 
one very flummoxed uh <laughs> like like I'm thinking of her in the one where like her kid's on a plane too um and then gets like kidnapped if you guys have seen that one she just plays a really good like mom in distress that like stutters a lot but like can kill people too um so yeah I really enjoyed her in that even though her character like did some dumb shit um and the movie itself like wasn't wasn't that like true to reality and then Kate Blanchett Benjamin Button does a good job she does some ballet she fucks Brad Pitt and that is her main accomplishment so yes (laughs) number three to her true uh all right uh Arjun what, what were your choices number three Sigourney Weaver in Alien 3 which I just watched for the first time and was fine um <laughs> but she's good but yeah, she's good yeah she's great I mean she kind of like lives that role anytime she steps into it and she's awesome so yes number two Rosamund Pike and Gone Girl um who's awesome and probably would be my number one. I kind of just made a last minute switch because my number one is Rooney Mara in Dragon Tattoo. If only because Elizabeth Salander is such a departure from anything else Rooney Mara has done in the rest of her career. It's such a transformation. And that's kind of like what acting is about, not just the sort of Oscar Beatty makeupy physical transformation, but actually transforming her voice and her actions and just living in this role in a way that Rosamund Pike is great, but I'm not sure it's quite that same extent. And uh, I love that Rooney Mara performance. It's the thing I remember most about Dragon Tattoo. All right. Um, I have very similar picks to you. Shout out to Sigourney Weaver here for, as my number third choice. Rooney Mara, for the same reasons, is my number two. And I am going to go Rosamund Pike with Gone Girl because th- she does so many things with that role. And that is just about the juiciest role you could ask for as an actress i think uh so we're gonna give it to rosamund pike for me um alicia um okay yeah first place rosamund pike in an education i mean gone girl um (laughs) she uh, i mean yeah i don't need to explain um second place rooney mara girl with the dragon tattoo um i mean she she kind of like reinvented that character sort of famously and like um i i think she i'm not sure i would like the movie that much if she wasn't in it i'll be honest i think it's like fine but she kills it um and then the the last one i was kind of torn on i think i am going to give it to sigourney weaver in alien 3 even though i've only seen half the movie but i think it's really important the way she reacts to certain things like she acknowledges the pain that she's gone through in the past two movies when she's like going through the wreck wreckage of like her ship and um like her old crewmates um and it like otherwise it would feel like the movie kind of breezed past it so that performance is super important all righty uh the fenchie for best leading actress goes to rosamund pike so shout out uh to rosamund pike we'll be sending you the trophy in the mail uh best picture our final our final um award to hand out at the end of the night the big Fenchy, the big one um arjun 
Tell us who yeah, wins Yeah, I've, I've got the same picks as I had for Best Director, uh, Social Network, uh, Gone Girl, and Fight Club. And I've got nothing really to say except for when I voted Rooney Mara as my Social Network pick for Best Supporting Actress. I forgot to mention my favorite line, which is, dating you is like dating a Stairmaster, which is one of my favorite lines in movie history, which I'm saying that a lot today. So maybe I like Fincher more than I was giving him credit for. And Social Network and Gone Girl are two of my favorite movies of the 2010s. And consequently of all time because they're two of my favorite movies I've ever seen in theaters I, I was 13 when I saw Social Network in theaters and along with Inception and back in 2010 it kind of blew my mind and turned me into somebody who loved film so uh thank you David Fincher and The Social <laughs> Network an amazing movie there you go um I'm also gonna pick The Social Network here as my number one pick um because I do think it is maybe my personal choice is Zodiac as my favorite um but it is just such a movie (laughs) Social Network is like the movie for like so many different reasons and so many different ways and it is like in all honesty like almost the platonic ideal of a just drama maybe like great just great um Zodiac my number two and I'll I'm giving seven a point um because seven did we're not I don't think we're talking enough about seven if I'm being honest um it did play like a real active role in me getting into movies um because it was just like I didn't know you could do that like it's so dark and like a 13 year old watching in the same way that you saw those movies in the theaters Arjun like me with my Kindle fire watching a ripped version of uh, of Seven because I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies at the time. Uh, that was like instrumental for my love of film. And I haven't, I haven't explored that enough tonight and damn it, it deserves a point. So uh, Brooke, how about you? What are, where are your votes going? Yeah, damn, I'm a little less like sentimental here. No, no offense, uh, Dave, but... Um, I guess I just came to a lot of these movies um, a little bit later. I think I actually, the first time watching Social Network was for like the intro to film class or whatever. Same with Fight Club was another was another one. Um, but yeah, so number one, Social Network. I don't know why, but when I was going through these, it was like, if I could only pick three movies and all of the rest like disappeared mm, um, off yeah. the face of the earth was kind of how I was like seeing it for some reason. So Number one, Social Network, and then number two, Fight Club. Um, just because, like, also an amazing movie, but I feel like just so different in, like, different tone, different vibe, everything. And then number three, Benjamin Button. I just, again, I just, <laughs> just got to put it out there. It just, it made me cry. And I thought it was just, like, honestly, in many ways, I thought it was, like, a really beautiful film in terms of, like, looking about like at our relationships and themes of like aging and stuff and like familial relationships and just like and and love in uncommon circumstances so yeah number three Benjamin Button that movie definitely exists Alicia (laughs) um okay social network obs um a complete deconstruction and obliteration of like the tech world and age that we still unfortunately live in today as well as of what the kids call toxic masculinity (laughs) um gone girl two points uh 
yeah, it's amazing. And then Fight Club won because, I mean, it is amazing. And I think, I believe that it intentionally, I hopefully believe, it intentionally does all the things that I think and interpret uh, make it great. I, I haven't seen it, but on the director's commentary, apparently it heavily implies that that is the case. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, the Finchie for Best Picture goes to the social network. Unanimous decision. Um, unanimous decision, indeed. Uh, and good for the social network. It deserves yeah. every award we could possibly throw at it. Good movie. Um, so I don't. I know we usually talk about things we've been watching, but I really do want to hop off, and I'm the one who's recording the Zoom. So. <laughs> oh, can uh, you make one of us a host? But I. W- oh no, yeah, it's fine. But the re- the recording of it might. Oh right, like, right, right. Yeah, that's up. fine. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you guys want to record your own little section and then send uh, it to me. Yeah, you can talk about fine. it next week because I have been watching some good stuff. Good. Yeah, good we'll talk about it next yeah. time. All right. That sounds good. Uh, well, to, fr- from us to you, happy Finchmas. Um, I'm Mary thinking. Mary. How, how Finch? Yeah. What are we, British? <laughs> I don't know. I'm so tired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Bye.